0: Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Inside Intercounty. I am one of your hosts, Andrew, the stuntman, Stewitz, and I am happy to be bringing you this episode this week from Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. That's right, Chris and I are on vacation, you could say, and we do not have studio space this week, but we still wanted to bring you an action-packed episode of Inside Inner County, so please bear with us as we navigate our way through any audio issues, and we promise to get back into the studio and up to the quality of content that you, our listeners, expect every week. So without further ado, folks, let's dive into this week's episode of Inside Inner County.
1: That's right, folks, as I so eloquently put it in my intro, here we are, recording from afar, I, Andrew Stewarts, the stuntman, I'm here in Sault Ste. Marie, recording from my hometown, at, uh, I'm actually recording from my parents' residence up here in Sault Ste.
2: Marie, and Chris, where are you recording from? I'm in Mississauga where I usually am but generally we'll we'll meet up in Toronto and we'll we'll get our studio space and get that all done but you know things happen and so this week we're uh we're working remote so uh as Andrew mentioned in the intro we apologize for any issues with the audio um and last week I think we ran into some issues with the audio on the uh interview episode with Byron right I don't know what was going on we were getting a little bit of feedback um the phone line. We'll, uh, yeah yeah I think we, we should be able to figure that out, though, for uh, for when we're back in studio. But, yeah, we're, uh, we're making do with what we have.
1: Making do. And and speaking of the interview with Byron, um, maybe now is a good time to tease that we're going to have another interview for the Inside Intercounty gang later this week. Chris, who are we bringing in as our guest this week on Inside Intercounty?
2: Yeah, so uh this week we will be interviewing a newer member of the IBL. Um just recently got involved with the league in the last year or so. Um and it's going to be a it's going to be a good listen. But I'm not going to tell you who it is until the end of the episode. So you guys are going to have to stick around uh and deal with us for the next 30 minutes or so if you want to find out who that is, but trust me you will not want to miss that interview.
1: The ultimate tease. I love it. Now this week
2: we're getting good at this thing, eh?
1: We are getting good at this thing. This little tease thing. Not bad. <laughs> Not bad. Now this week we decided that we were going to shake things up a bit. As as fun as it is to dissect every team. I think this week, you know, we're we're recording from afar, so we figure we'll jazz things up in all in all fashions. And we're gonna do uh we're gonna do a bit of a hot topic episode where um, sure we're gonna give some shouts to some teams where we see fit. But today we do have a handful of topics that we wanna discuss um from around the IBL this week. So without further ado, let's get into one of the I guess you could say one of the bigger stories um coming out of the league this week. And that is that the Toronto Maple Leafs are looking for a buyer to carry on their 54-year tradition at Christie Pitts. That's right. For those of you who may not have heard, the Toronto Maple Leafs are for sale. Um, that news came out, I believe it was a couple of days ago now, around the 24th. So... Not necessarily old news yet, but I haven't heard of any people coming out um, to buy the team, to my knowledge. That was a for-sure thing. I heard I heard a rumor that Doug Gilmore might get involved. That's another Toronto Maple Leafs legend, but on the hockey side, of course. Um, Chris, what do you make of the necessary, I guess, sale now? Of the Toronto Maple Leafs, what does this mean for the club?
2: Yeah, so it's been it's been in the works for the last couple of years. Obviously, unfortunately, uh, Jack Domenico, who's owned the team for the last fifty-five years, passed away before last season, and since then, it's been pretty uh, well known that the team is going to sell at some point, and um, obviously have to change over ownership. Um, and yeah, we don't really know who's going to be involved and who uh who's going to buy the team, you know. There's been a lot that's that's gone on with this. It's it's a really difficult team to evaluate when it comes to uh the price point because you know, the field is, you know, you don't they don't make any money off the field. It's a city it's a city field. They really just have a permit for the pits and they've had it there for a long time. Um you know they do have the trademark for the name Toronto Maple Leafs that's a fun fact um the baseball team actually owns the trademark not the the hockey team uh which is a which is an interesting little uh little thing maybe it's the maybe it's the curse of of Jack Domenico that's, uh, that's haunting the Maple Leafs cuz 1967 was when uh when he secured that trademark so um you know maybe that's uh, maybe that's why the, the the hockey team can't win the Stanley Cup but I digress um wow Wow. Yeah, it's <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's definitely a uh, a different situation. Obviously, that Toronto Sun article came out, and the team. I think one of the reasons that it hasn't been sold yet is because they are desperately looking for somebody to keep the team at uh, Christie Pitts. My thing is, I don't think that's reasonable, and I don't think that's uh, necessarily going to be able to happen. Uh, as, you know, there haven't been any buyers come forward that are willing to keep the team at the pit. It's difficult, right? Because people that are buying an asset are generally looking to either make money off it or at least not lose money and and have like a, a sustainable business model. It's hard to rationalize buying an asset where the field is free and there's no ticket sales and none of that. Like, how, how do you make money at that point, right? So, uh, and, and that's one of the biggest things in the league now, right, is, like, look at Welland. They're drawing over 1,000 people a game. Hamilton this year, they're drawing over 500 people a game. London's always drawn over, you know, 1,500 to 2,000 people a game. And those ticket sales, they do add up, and they're what kind of keep the thing moving, you know? Like, it's a lot of teams in the IBL don't necessarily turn a profit, but – the money that they do make gets reinvested back into the team to make it a better product. And if there's no money to reinvest, how do you sustain a better, like a great product? Right. And so as an outside consumer um, and as an outside entity that would be looking to buy the field, buy the team, it's difficult to rationalize keeping the team at Christie pits, which is unfortunate because it is such a, uh, such a historic field although personally for me um I'm not going to miss uh not I'm not going to miss pitching at Christy Pitts ever. Uh I've had some of my worst nightmares happen there and I've I've been I I've, I've been secretly wanting the team to move from Christy Pitts for the last 5 years or so but you know I'm not even in the league anymore so I don't I don't have that interest. But uh but yeah, it should be interesting to see how this all develops. Now I know that Ty Crawford
1: who, for those of you who don't know, is a former Leafs player and manager and current COO who now represents the estate of Domenico. Um, he has said how you know great of an opportunity this will be and how excited he is for a future buyer to take this team to another level. He also has come out to say that they're not initiating the search for a buyer until, I guess, sometime in July, and that would be why we can't find anything on, like, an opening price. Uh, They are suspecting something in six figures. By they, I mean this uh, uh, article that I'm reading uh, from a couple of different sources, but through the Toronto Sun. he made an interesting comment, though, and I want to get your thoughts on this. He said, quote, I've got ideas to expand the IBL to follow the Ontario Hockey League's example. Go into border cities in the U.S., such as New York, and and or around Detroit. Toronto could be a major attraction for those cities, especially when the CNE is on. I don't know what the CNE necessarily <laughs> and and the IBL, or the, I guess the Toronto Maple Leafs, have in common. I don't see the correlation in that. But I want to get your thoughts on this idea of the OHL's example, border cities such as New York. Is that feasible for, a, you know, is that feasible? Does that, does that sound like something that we could see?
2: The short answer is No. Uh, that would be unprecedented in the league. And it would be very difficult to be able to make that happen. I'll I'll, I'll be honest with you. I appreciate what Crawford's trying to do here uh, with this article and with this quote, but it feels like, it feels like a not so great sales pitch. uh, If I'm going to be completely honest with you, like having to reach for uh, the CNE and comparing that and saying, Oh, like that's why, teams in New York should want to be a part of the IBLs because of the CNE. Like that I don't I don't really understand that correlation either. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, it's again, right, the lifeblood of the league as we've said time and time again is the working man and the guy who, you know, we have Byron on, he said he works in a factory. Uh it's hard to to make those those guys, for example, drive across the border Um, you know, 20 times a summer to go play a team in Buffalo or a team in, you know, Detroit. Like Detroit is – that's a far drive for, you know, let's say the Barry Baycats have to go play in in Detroit. That is a long drive. That's a five-hour, six-hour trek. Um, And that's just, like, unreasonable to ask those guys. So if it was a professional league where it was, like, all professionals, I could see it we already have that and that's the Frontier League, right? Like the Frontier League has a team in uh has a pair of teams in Quebec, they have a team in Ottawa, um, and then they have a bunch of teams in the US as well, obviously. Uh the IBL is just not it's it's really just not that kind of league. Um and it's never seen it. I guess I guess maybe one team in like Buffalo might be able to work. Uh, but besides that, like I don't I don't see an expansion of that size taking place. Um, My, my question is what does this quote have to do with buying Toronto Maple Leafs? Um, Like, I don't, I don't really understand what, how that correlates, you know, like having a team and like talking about teams in New York and Detroit, you know, how, how does that correlate to the Toronto Maple Leafs? What does that, what does that mean for, for the baseball team? Um, Yeah. Like I said, like, I don't, I'll be honest, I don't think the leagues are going to have a hard time finding a buyer. I think they're going to have an incredibly difficult time finding a buyer to keep the team in Christy Pitts. And I think that the league itself needs to come to some sort of agreement if the team were to stay in Christy Pitts to where it becomes more like the rest of the IBL fields. Right? Where it's it's an enclo- it's got to be an enclosed stadium uh, with grandstands and tickets and concessions and all of that stuff. Right. Uh I think that that's that's the most reasonable um the most reasonable way forward for the Toronto Maple Leafs. But yeah, I, I, I do understand what Crawford's trying to do. He's obviously very passionate about the team. Uh and I can definitely appreciate that. And I appreciate the history of the Leafs. But really the writing's been on the wall when it comes to Christy Pitts for years now, for probably close to a decade. And like even the playing surface, it's just not up to par um, with the rest of the league. So I I just don't see how, how they stick around.
1: It would require a multi-million dollar renovation of Christy Pitts, if you're asking me.
2: And and I, I have a really hard time seeing the city go in on something like that.
1: Well, he was, and he, I mean Crawford, Crawford was quoted as saying, Hey, a field that is entirely free and city owned because of the historical presence. The permit is renewed annually. So any future buyer at least can rest assured that they save on their annual fee from the city for using Christie Pitts. I mean, they're saving what? I don't even know what that rental would be for the year. But I have a feeling, again, it sounds sounds like a very cheap sales pitch to me Mm -hmm. trying to tell me that I'm saving, that's like, that's like, uh, you know, gas station telling me that I'm saving uh, only two cents, but the other gas station telling me I save three. At the end of the day, if I'm complaining about the difference of a cent, then I shouldn't be driving. But if you're complaining and or using the tactic of, well, you don't have to pay for the field. We understand that, but how's the team making any money after that? We see their merch guy. I think he's a single, a single gentleman who who uh, sells the the hats and and all that at the pits. I've seen him there. Shouts to, shouts to the merch guy. I'll grab his name Alan Ross? in the future. I think it Alan could Ross be does, uh,
2: that name Alan, sounds familiar. I know Alan Ross does the 50 I I believe
1: right. Uh, I so believe I know that you know. Been around forever. But like you said, in comparison to, and I mean, granted, Welland might be an exception, but in comparison to a Welland type atmosphere, it's it's night and day, like you said, playing in a free public space compared to a legitimate stadium atmosphere.
2: Well, and here's the here's the other thing, like going back to the permit, and I have a funny story going to last year's playoffs, and some people around the league will know this story already. Um, Andrew, I don't think I've told this to you uh, before, but last year when I was playing in Welland, we were in the semifinals uh, going up against Toronto, and we were down 2-1 in the series, and we had a game four, and I think it was on a Wednesday, and it was supposed to be in Toronto at the Pitts. And right as the bus was about to leave, and pick up the guys in, uh, or at the stadium, we get a message that the game has been canceled and postponed to the next day, a playoff game. Keep in mind, blue skies out, it's like 23 degrees, beautiful day for baseball, absolutely no reason to cancel this game. So we're all wondering, what the hell happened? right? Like, Why did this game get postponed? The game got postponed because George Brown College had the permit for the field. So a playoff game in the IBL got postponed because George Brown had the permit for the field. In my opinion, that's unacceptable. And when you have a stadium where the city has all of the say, right? Because there are other city owned parks um, around the league, like Jack Couch is owned by the city of Kitchener and Bernie Arbor is owned by the city of Hamilton. Right. Um, but you know, they obviously prioritize, uh, you know, their IBL teams. Like they get, they get first dibs essentially on, on the date. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs just get their, they get their permit renewed, you know, by the city strictly off the history, but the city isn't going to go out of their way to make life easy on the Leafs. Right. It's just that it's of no cost to them. So they don't care. They're like, sure. You know, um, But that's the other issue, right, is George Brown also probably paid for that permit. And so the city looked at it and said, okay, well, we have a team who paid for a permit versus a team who doesn't pay anything to us. Which team are we going to give priority to, right? So, and, and, and like, if you're going to have the IBL go to the next level and, and take that next step, you can't have games postponed because the permit was given to a college for a playoff, like, on the same day that a playoff game was supposed to happen, you know?
1: No, yeah, that's um, tough.
2: It, it it it's it's tough, and like honestly, like we don't like in Welland, we didn't we didn't think that was the reason we lost, but we had just won the day before. Um, it was like twelve to three or something. We like we killed them to stay alive in the series, and we felt like we had momentum, and then that kind of killed our momentum. It gave Angel Castro another day of rest, and he shoved it against us, um, that next day. But all like all the credits to Toronto. We we're not saying that's the reason that we lost, but. Like, just the whole situation was was kind of a mess, right? And I think that if the team is going to stay in the IBL, things like that simply can't happen. And as long as they're at the pit, I don't think there's any way you can be certain that something like that won't happen again. Right. Well,
1: let's shift a little bit to another hot topic around the league. And one that I know kind of fired you up a little bit at least, on it appeared so on Twitter. I know that you had done an inside inner county Twitter takeover, and you were live tweeting one of the games. Um, I believe it was the Hamilton Welland game. Uh, it was Hamilton Welland. Well, my apologies, but I, I'm just going through. I'm going through some of these. Great job, by the way. Just a, just a nice shout out. Good job, man. You're crushing. You know, if people want inside inner county content more than just weekly, feel free to reach out and follow us on Twitter at Inside IBL Pod. We would love to have you there. We've got great content more than just, you know, advertising our episodes, live tweeting games, an opportunity to connect with fans. I do have a story about connecting with a fan on Twitter a little bit later in this episode. I'll, I'll get to that. But Chris, what can you tell me about the umpiring situation in the IBL
2: right now? Yeah. So first of all, yeah, I was, I was at the game in Hamilton uh, on Friday. Rainy game rainy affair it was not not the greatest weather in the world um but an entertaining game nonetheless London was able to keep to keep it close um, Hamilton ended up getting out of there with an eight seven win uh just you know just another another tough night in a series of tough nights uh seemingly all year for the london majors uh and really, it came to a boiling point uh on on Friday when they had four of their uh, four members of their team ejected. Uh, both coaches got tossed uh, and two of their hitters also got tossed. Um, I me mean, excuse me while I pull up the box for here. I just want to make sure I get all the names correct, but yeah, it was a, um, it was an entertaining game. And, and again, right. Like I think frustration really just boiled over for the London majors. And you can understand that they've had, they've had a really rough go of it this year. Um but yeah, when it comes to the to the umpiring in the league, like it's you know, it is what it is, but I just wanted to to kinda of take this time to address some of the narratives around um the back and forth that goes on between umpires and players and managers in the league. Um players and managers as they will anywhere will argue that the umpiring isn't good enough. You know, that's that's just how it is. Everywhere you go, you know, and unfortunately, you know we live in a world where you know you there isn't a surplus of umpires. you know you take what you have and you do the best with what you can and I do appreciate all the umpires for you know I think they are doing their best, I think they're trying uh the issue that uh a lot of um, that that a lot of players and managers take with umpires. Isn't the the actual calls themselves, and I think that's where umpires get it wrong. Um, the The calls themselves are what they are. You know, uh, people are going to make mistakes. Guys are going to make bad calls. It's going to happen. Uh, it's about the, and it goes both ways a little bit. Uh, but it's about the reactions and the, um, like the, the the game management, so to speak. From umpires, so the plate umpire. I'll I'll just kind of do a little deep dive on what happened on Friday. So uh, it was, I think it was the seventh inning, and Starlin uh, Starlin Joseph was at the plate. Uh, London had just tied things three three, and the go ahead runs at third base, two outs, and Starlin Joseph gets rung up on a close pitch. I personally thought it was a strike, but it was a it it was a borderline call. It could have gone either way. Starlin got mad. He took his helmet, chucked it into the ground, helmet bounced off the plate on, uh, and he got in his face and started yelling at him. And there was all kinds of, unfortunately, there was like, there was like 50 people at the game because the weather was so crappy. Um, So you could really hear everything that was going on on the field. And there was a lot of, a lot of cursing and a lot of this and that. And uh honestly, I think Starlin kind of embarrassed himself in that situation. I think it was, a, it's a really bad look for him. Um, and so, like I, I, the umpire obviously threw him out, completely, completely justified. Um, so he gets rung from the game. Then we head to the, uh, to I think the eighth inning. One of the coaches in London is beaking off, and he throws him out of the game too. That so far, I I don't really have much of a problem with it. Was the plate ump having a tough night back there? Absolutely, he was he was missing calls left and right on both sides. But again, it happens, you know. He's got to also stand up for himself a little bit, and so he threw out the guys that were that were beacon off. Understood. Then we get to the ninth inning, and Hamilton is up eight to four at this point. And the issue that, and where, and, and the plate umpire's name is Adam Decare, um, where Decare ran into a problem, was he started engaging with the London bench, and oh the London bench was yelling at him, and then he started saying stuff back to them or telling them to knock it off and whatever, right? Right. I guess that's fine to an extent, right? Like you can't just let them yell at you like all game, right? Like you have to you have to say something. Where it turned unprofessional was in the ninth inning when uh London had a guy at the plate. I can't remember exactly who it was. I think it was um it was Tommy Reyes Cruz. Um, was at the plate for London. And it, there was two strikes. And again, London bench is mad. And, you know, cares just back there and, and kind of wearing it. And there's a borderline pitch. And personally, I thought it was a ball. But he punched out the batter while staring into the London dugout. And for me and any, any person that, like, saw that happen – would tell you that looked vindictive and it looked like he had a, a bone to pick and it went from no longer being a impartial, um, an, an impartial guy back there behind the plate to a guy who had a vendetta. And like, Sounds I like get it. it. And, and, and listen, I get it, right? Like, it's not, it's not easy. Like I've, I umpired for 10 years. I've had many, many people yell at me. Um, you know, like I was like, I was 14 years old when I threw out my first coach as an umpire. So like, I get it. Like, you know, sometimes coaches get a little bit nuts and whatnot, right? But you've already ejected a pair of guys, right? Um, and if you just want to keep tossing guys and keep tossing guys, what you don't do is change the outcome of the game because you're mad. Your job as a professional is to go back there and do the job the best you can, not try to show that you're that you're there, not trying to show people that you're there. And so then Tommy, Tommy Reyes Cruz gets all mad. He starts yelling at him saying, why are you looking in the dugout? What the hell is that? This is BS, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, he wasn't going to leave until, until the care tossed him, And eventually he did. Um, But like, what do you like as, as a player, like, what are you supposed to do? You just got rung up on a pitch that probably wasn't a strike and you saw the umpire staring into your dugout while he punched you out. Like it it was one of the most unprofessional things I've seen on a baseball field and it just it just wasn't it just wasn't a good look at all and those are the kinds of things that give umpires in this league a bad rap. It's like I said, the umpiring itself, guys like, you know, guys are going to get mad and you also have to understand that London is having a very bad time right now. They are not having any fun at the field. Um, no, they're not. Everything is going against them right now. Everything that can go wrong is going wrong. They're not playing good ball and it's frustrating. Right. And all that he did in that situation was add to that frustration by, um, by giving them a reason to get angry. Right. And then Roop obviously lost his lid and he, he started to get angry um, at, uh, at, uh, at the care and he ends up getting tossed Um and It was like he was it was one of the most passionate, angry Roop moments that I can remember, and that's that's saying something' cause I've seen Roop get tossed a handful of times um in my career and but yeah, it was just like for me that's that's the tough part right is when the umpires make the game more about themselves, and I don't want to sit here and make it a blanket statement like all of the umpires are like that, most of them are fine, right, like most of them aren't going to. Get all wound up or whatever but there are times where they engage more than they realistically should right um and the players aren't and the players and managers aren't um absolved from this either they play a big part in it as well obviously because they're the ones that are yelling at the umpire and there's only so much of that that you can take as a, as a human being but at the same time um you know a be humble enough to recognize when you're not having a great night like the care was. Uh, And also like, you know, don't, don't compound things. Don't make things worse for everybody. Um, Because that's the kind of thing that makes, that makes you look bad. It makes your peers look bad. It makes, you know, it makes the league look bad. It makes everybody look bad. Um, And so, yeah, like that was, you know, like I said, he was having a tough night and that's okay. But the way that he handled it, I, I just, I, I don't think there's anybody who, who would have appreciated it. Actually, Roop was so mad. George Halim, the, the general manager for Hamilton, had to run on the field and uh, basically get him away from the umpires. Um, you know, George obviously got a little bit emotional there, and you know, it's one of the things that that the guys in Hamilton really appreciate about him. But yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was a tough scene, and it was unfortunate because it was a great game. Uh, But the story at the end of it was obviously the the quote-unquote ump show that happened.
1: Now, we don't see discipline for umpires making it about themselves in the major leagues. How do we fix something like this happening again? When When does somebody tell Decare to take a night off? Does he get a night off? I haven't seen a situation like this in the league yet myself as, you know, kind of as that, as that new viewer, you would probably have more of, I guess, an explanation for how do we handle or deal with the Yeah.
2: And I don't want to, I don't want to single out, uh, I don't want to single out the care and make him seem like, like he's this like bad guy. Like he's not, he's not emotional um you know, I'm, know sure Martin, I'm sure he's a great guy i'm sure yeah i said i'm i'm sure he's a great guy yeah and he just he just got emotional you know and i'm sure that he would probably say that he didn't handle it great either um but yeah the issue is like there was a situation last year um where there was uh an umpire who was just clearly overwhelmed he was not good behind the dish um and he eventually just they had him stop calling games behind the dish. I don't know if that was his call or if it was the league's call. Um, but again, the, the the real issue here is there's a shortage of umpires in Ontario uh, and like umpires that are qualified to do IBL games. So you really, you really get what you have, you know? Um, what I would like to see is some form of, um, first of all, I think played umpires should get paid significantly more than than base umpires, as someone who did umpire in the past, it's obviously far more challenging to umpire the plate than it is to do the bases, and you should be compensated accordingly for that, Uh, but that's a whole different subject. There are some umpires in this league who are really good plate-ups, who call a good game um, behind the dish. And again, not everybody can do it. It's, It's difficult to do. I would just like to see it to where... Uh, some umpires do the plate almost every time and some umpires do the bases you know um so that's like that would be my personal solution but again like you know those guys that do the plate they don't want to do the plate every single game it's tough like it's it's physically it's physically demanding it's mentally demanding um so i don't have i don't have a great answer for that uh like i said the performance is what it is but yeah, I would love to. I, I would like to see, um, you know, in a situation like that, somebody talk to the uh, to the umpire in in question and say, "Hey, man, like you did not handle this well. Like this can't happen again." Um, and then if it happens again, you know, you discipline them the way that Starlin is probably going to get suspended by the league for hitting uh, for hitting an umpire with his helmet, right? Like there's there's certain things you just can't do. Um, and so that's like that would be my solution.
1: That whole situation reminds me of I believe it was Brett Lowry. He got really mad that game in Toronto. He slammed his helmet down, hit the umpire, got ejected, suspended. It was
2: very similar to X, that. X, Y, and Z. It was very similar to that.
1: That was a uh, that was a crazy time in Toronto baseball. Brett Lowry. Wow. What a guy. Shifting gears level. Oh he yep. He was souped up on you could call it Red Bull. I don't know if they make <laughs> I don't know if they make Red Bull Red Bull in nose form but yeah, you could call oh, it God. Red Bull. What a guy. Um shifting gears a little bit. We kind of well, we've discussed all sorts of things in the league. A team needs a new owner. Um people are human. Ie, umpires are human. <laughs> and and now now let's talk about something new and exciting happening In Chatham. I hear that there's chatter in Chatham. Sorry, that was tough. Um, But
2: there is. Please never do that again. I won't ever
1: say that there's chatter in Chatham ever again. (laughs) I hear that they are revealing the name of their expansion team soon. So for those of you who don't know, that's right. Chatham expansion team coming to... The ibl chris what have you heard any any information that you can share with us about chatham's new team
2: yeah so they did just announce on their social media that they will be revealing their name uh, for their expansion team uh, i think they said july 6th is when they'll be unveiling that that team name that team will be ready to play next summer um so there will be a ninth team in the league uh next summer uh and i have a pretty good indication i know of what chatham's team name will be but i will keep that for myself um and i'll let the team uh be the ones to announce that i don't want to i don't want to spoil anything for anybody um but uh it's uh I'll, I'll tell you this much it's it's a good name i'm i'm a fan of uh I'm a fan of what Chatham is doing with their team. Now they did initially name their team, the blackbirds, um, but there were some uh, issues with that uh, racial undertones and whatnot, um, where they decided it it would just be better for us just to pick a different name. We have so much time on our hands, like let's come up with something else. Um, And so uh, they've landed on a name. They'll be unveiling that on July 6th. And yeah, it's going to be the, uh, It's going to push the boundary of the league. It's going to um, be the furthest team out west uh, in the league, uh, further than – which would surpass London, obviously. Uh, So it'll be interesting for me to see how they do the schedule because, like, you know, you can't ask Barry to go to Chatham on a Wednesday uh, in the middle of June, right? Like, it's just not – it's not a realistic thing to – to ask them to do that's just not fair to them, right? Play a seven o'clock game and shout them, and then drive home three and a half hours, get in bed by two thirty, and then wake up for work at seven or whenever people go to work. Um, so I'm interested to see what they do with the scheduling. I'm also interested to see what they do with the playoff format because right now everybody makes the playoffs, one versus eight, two versus seven, so on and so forth. Um, you can't do that anymore with nine teams, like you could, but now one team's going to miss the playoffs. Um, So I'm interested to see what they do with the, with the playoff format. And the last thing that I'm interested in is, uh, and there have been rumors for the past few years uh, that the league wants to expand to 10 eventually uh, to make it even. And then they'll have five teams in one division, five teams in another division, and basically have an East and West of the IBL versus just having all the teams cooped together. So, It'll be interesting to see what teams and what cities come up in that 10th team uh, discussion uh, to make that happen. So that's just a few of the storylines that I'm I'm looking at with Chatham.
1: Well, there certainly is a lot of chatter in Chatham.
2: That's what we like to see.
1: Yeah, you're right. No, that is enough. Some exciting stuff, though, happening in the (laughs) league. And you're right, the playoff format, that will be – intriguing to watch i wonder if they decide that only six teams can make it and they they tell you hey the bottom two better not finish there if you want to see playoff ibl baseball
2: and then also having the two uh having the two buys and i've actually had this discussion with uh with some people recently uh around the league asking basically why do teams or why, why, why are we staying with the one verse eight like right now? Cause I've said that like for the sake of competitiveness, a 16 playoff makes the regular season mean more. And then you have two buys. And the explanation that was given to me was, and it's a valid one is if you're one of those top two teams, do you really want to be sitting around at home and not playing for a week or 10 days or whatever? Right. And kind of getting out of that rhythm. Uh, while everybody else plays, like I, like these, like they feel that that would put the top teams at a bit of a disadvantage. And that's something they wouldn't necessarily want to do. Um, Because like right now, for example, like whoever plays first, you get a five game set against Brantford. Like it's fair to, it's fairly certain to say that they're probably going to win that series, whoever finishes at the top. Um, And so they um, like, it'll, it's, that that's one of the reasons that they're currently going with the one versus eight, uh, instead of going to the six. So I don't see them adding the team and then doing that still, um, like going down to the 16 format. Uh, personally, I wouldn't hate it, but I do also understand as hitters and like, you see it in the big leagues too, right? Teams will sweep a series and then sit around for five days and then come back and not be able to hit the next round. Um, because baseball is such a repetition type of sport. So I don't really see them lowering the amount of teams in the playoffs.
1: Well, it will certainly be interesting to follow, and next season is going to get even just that little bit more exciting. As if the league needed any more excitement, here we are, just continually adding more and more. I'm excited. Yeah
2: one uh, one other one other thing on that, Andrew. Um, yeah, the uh, one, one last thing that I'm uh, I'm intrigued to see is what kind of talent we get from like the Chatham Windsor area to enter the league. Cause right now there isn't, I don't know if there's any players from the Windsor area that play in the IBL. Obviously it's a, it's a far drive, right? But if the, if the home stadium is in Chatham, it is reasonable to expect that players from out West, and there is a lot of talent in the Windsor, uh, in the Windsor area, in the Chatham area, uh, Sarnia type, uh, type spaces. There is, there is a lot of talent where, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be cool to see kind of how those players stack up against uh, the rest of the league coming from Southern Ontario. So I'm I'm very intrigued to see how their how their team is made up and and kind of what their team makeup looks like.
1: Well, if you're going to use let's say an NHL comparison, you could get a Vegas Golden Knights situation where the team is just incredible their first season. You could, or you could get the opposite. And that's what you don't want, um, but we'll just have to see how things shape up in Chatham as news continues to develop out of there now this is exciting, and i've been I've been waiting to get this on the airwaves for a while, so I'm gonna hit everybody with my best n h l Insider Kevin Weeks' impression. Breaking news, breaking news. We here at Inside Inner County have discovered what a Bay Cat is. That's right. For those of you who have been following along on our What is a Bay Cat journey, Twitter follower and IBL inside or inside inner county uh, listener Anthony Russell. Shout out to Anthony Russell. He says a bay cat is a wild cat found on the island of Borneo in Indonesia. So he's he says he assumes that berry ownership was more likely along the ideology of well. We have a bay, and a wildcat is kind of an overused animal in sports. So let's combine the two together, even though they are nowhere near Southeast Asia. So, (laughs) folks, we have figured out what a bay cat is, and I just wanted to give Inside Inner County listener Anthony Russell that shout-out.
2: Shout-out, Anthony. Good, uh, good digging on that
1: one. That's good. That's some good digging right there. Now, speaking of Barry, though, holy crap, the <laughs> the Barry Baycats have, I guess you can say, hit the hit the on switch, turned it into overdrive. There are so many ways that you could describe this team's play over the last few games especially they now have an 11 and 5 record they're on a 7 game win streak and they uh they put up 15 runs at home against Toronto last Thursday that was Thursday June 22nd and then Saturday June 24th look away well fans the Barry bay cats put up not one but two touchdowns on the jackfish winning that one on saturday 14 to 2 chris are the Barry bay cats your favorite team in the ibl right now
2: yeah 14 runs too to to keep Welling from one number 14 in a row that was uh that was a, a very, very impressive performance uh, from Barry. Um, I'd like to uh, – listen, I, I am a man of integrity, and I'm a man who is willing to admit when he's wrong. And uh, for those of you who followed around, followed along with the power rankings, a few weeks ago I referred to Barry as average, um, basically uh, saying that they were just a mediocre baseball team who was just blah, and they were just in the middle – and at the time that was true. Here's the problem. That is very not true anymore. Um, this team is, I, I may, I may have been very, very wrong about this team. This team might be a real contender. Um, they're getting contributions up and down the lineup. Ryan Riho, um, is having the best year of his IBL career, uh, currently batting 426. Um, twenty twenty one he was also really good, but that was a uh, that was a little bit of a weird year where um you know we didn't have imports and, and things like that in the league it was uh it was an all canadian league there wasn't as much talent it was kind of thrown together because of covid uh twenty nineteen he also had a good season uh but this year but twenty nineteen he he had the batting average he was hitting three ninety three but he didn't have a homer in twenty two games this year he already has five last year he hit he set a career high with six homers the difference is that last year he his batting average was 120 points lower than it is now so this year he's found a way to combine the power with the batting average and also he has struck out four times in 54 at bats so not only is he hitting the ball hard uh getting on base a lot but he's just not striking out which like if you've seen if you've seen Ryan Rio like that's like that dude looks like a power hitter um but and and he is right like he has five homers he's near the top of the leaderboard in that category um but he's also just like just a good overall hitter batting at 426 right now uh in the league top 5 in the league in that category so uh he's really been carrying the offense but he's not the only contributor um they've had some other dudes Josh Cote uh the uh the catcher he's he's had an incredible season uh, I believe he's hitting over 400 or he's hitting close to 400. He's hitting 30, 377, which for a catcher is very, very good. Uh, Royce Ando batting uh, 370. Uh, Victor Plaz, I believe is his name. I apologize if I, if I got that wrong. Um, he, uh, he's he been here uh, since the start of June and he's batting 433. So they're getting contributions uh, up and down the lineup for them, but the 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 most surprising and the the I guess the most impressive part of their team is their team ERA right now is a four oh one, which is a run and a half better than the second best team in terms of ERA in the league. Um Welland is currently sitting in second with a five four eight ERA. So uh like Barry's pitching staff has been outstanding uh even though they haven't really gotten contributions from any imports on the mound. Uh they've just been doing it with homegrown guys, with guys like Evan Sewell and Adam Kahn and uh Benitez has been really good. Uh the one import that has been there that's been outstanding is Frank Garces. He's been absolutely electric back to his uh twenty eighteen form, uh, looking like looking like that guy again, which is scary for the rest of the league. But yeah, man, they're they're red hot. They're playing incredible baseball right now. Um Definitely the hottest team in the league and um yeah they uh they have they have definitely definitely picked it up. This is this is the best Baycats team we've seen since since twenty nineteen for sure.
1: They have six players over the last seven days hitting five hundred or better. Or better. That's insane. So to put that that's into perspective, nuts. that's really good. that is that that will play that is some incredible baseball um yeah uh victor plaz like you said this guy a 1.444 slugging like i don't know how many fours you need there but this guy is just a monster and like you said that's in that's in what that's in his last two games In nine ABs. So, I mean, he's seeing the ball really well. And it will be exciting. They're all seeing the ball really well. Well, yeah, by by the looks of it, everybody is. So, it'll be exciting to see what Barry can do if Barry can continue that stretch of good form as they look to take on. Well, actually, they were supposed to play yesterday. And that game never happened. That game got rained out against Kitchener yesterday. So I think that's
2: the second time this year they've been rained out against Kitchener. They they just the baseball gods just don't want those two teams to play.
1: Well, right now the baseball gods might be doing Kitchener a favor. And they might be <laughs>
2: gonna say the same thing. Yeah, they might
1: be wanting Barry to cool down a little bit. But that's not great news for Toronto who see Barry tomorrow. Tomorrow night, seven thirty PM. The Barry Baycats and the Toronto Maple Leafs go at each other. What can you expect, and what can fans expect from that matchup
2: on Wednesday? Bet the over. Um, if there was if there was IBL betting lines, put all of your life savings on the over because both of those teams can 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 hit it, uh, can swing it. Both of those teams, well, especially Barry, is red hot. And the game's being played at the pit. So the over is never a bad bet um, when the game is uh, when the game's being played in, in Toronto. But, yeah, expect a lot of offense. Um, I'm interested to see who throws for Barry. Uh, Garces just threw on Saturday, so he won't be available. Uh, maybe Benitez goes. Uh, Barry hasn't played. I don't think Benitez has thrown uh, in almost a week now. So uh, he should be available to go. But, yeah, Barry last game against Toronto was on Thursday where they beat them 15 to three, as you had mentioned. Uh, So, you know, just there, like that's the thing, right. Is like when, when I had said that Barry was average, they were beating teams by like one or two. Now they're pardon my French. And if there's any kids listening, like cover your ears, they are kicking the ever living shit out of teams now. Um, And like, it's, like this is this is how you show that you're you're one of the elite teams in the league. You go into a in, into a barn where a team's won 13 straight, and you whoop their ass 14 to two. So like that's like that's that's how you prove that you're that you're an elite club. And I think they've definitely earned that distinction right now.
1: Well, that's not the only matchup that fans and ourselves should look forward to as we approach a weekend full of exciting matchups. And it doesn't get any more Canadian than spending Canada Day watching intercounty baseball. So as we approach a full slate of Saturday games... I believe there are four. That's right. There are four games happening on Saturday, Canada Day. And then there are three games that happen on Sunday. Barry is playing back-to-backs Saturday and Sunday. So we might actually see Kitchener and Barry as they are set to face each other Sunday at 3 p.m. So, that matchup, that kind of rounds out the weekend. But before that, you've got exciting games like Hamilton versus London, Barry versus Welland, which again is going to be a great game and almost a redemption game for the Jackfish. Would that be your Canada Day matchup of the weekend,
2: Chris? I think it has to be right you have the two teams at the top of the standings uh obviously you know coming off coming off the backs of a uh, a very bad loss for the welland jackfish on on Saturday um against those Saint Barry baycats they're going to have um a little bit of revenge on their mind uh their first uh Canada day home game actually since uh relocating the team to Welland. And they have some special jerseys as well. They're wearing their Canada Day Fish jerseys, uh, which those should be pretty sharp. And I'm expecting pretty much a sellout crowd in that game uh, to watch those two teams play. You can pretty much assume that Frank Garces is going to go again for uh, Barry against Welland. Welland couldn't solve them last time. We'll see if they have a little bit of a different game plan this time out. Uh, Garces also uh, had uh, a couple starts against Welland last year. Once he got uh he got shelled a little bit the other time he threw a complete game. So uh he's had a good amount of success uh against Welland the last couple of seasons. So yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see and I think that's really the game where we'll be able to see if Barry's for real. Like if they can do it again to the team that most people look at as the class of the league. Um and I would still consider Welland probably the best team in the league. Uh even after that shellacking, you know, every team's gonna lose. But um if they can go out and do it again and beat them again in their, in their, uh, in their barn on Canada day, that's going to be a, a huge statement win for, uh, for Barry if they can pull that off. So yeah, it's going to be a, going to be a really good one to, to watch. Well, I look forward to,
1: I'll have to watch them from afar as I'll be, I'll be traveling back to Toronto around, uh, Around those times. So I have to see. I might be able to catch. uh, Toronto at the pits on Sunday. I don't want to promise. My presence at that game. And get anybody's hopes up of course. But in case you're listening. And in case you really love. Seeing us at games. There is a possibility. That we make our way. Or at least I make my way. To the pits on Sunday. To see the Maple Leafs take on the majors. Is there anything else that you want to get to today, Chris?
2: Not really. Uh, As of this recording, the league has not released the players of the week, so we're not going to um, speculate on that. Uh, What I will say is uh, Hamilton had another exciting game on on Sunday, and Tyler Duncan might be the first back-to-back player of the week winner uh, of the season. He had another ridiculous weekend with a pair of homers and throwing out the tying run at the plate to end the ball game on Sunday. So um, that could be interesting to watch, but yeah, like, uh, you know, like you said, you might be at the game on Sunday. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it out to any games this week. I might be in London on Friday. Um not sure about that yet, but I'm going to try to make it out there. Uh, yeah. If anybody listening sees us at the field and, uh, you know, want to chat and say hi or yell at us about any of our hot takes? Then you know we—I uh, think I speak for for Andrew when I say that we welcome that and we enjoy the uh, we enjoy the banter. So uh, yeah, feel free to uh, to reach out to us and and you know if you see us, uh, don't be afraid to say hi. But yeah, should be a uh, should be a good week of uh, of IBL baseball once again.
1: Well, I'll make sure to stay out of Byron's ear if I see him on Sunday. And and unfortunately Salazo doesn't have a choice. That poor third baseman for Toronto has to hear me talking about him all the time from the uh, from the sideline. But that's just where I stand to take pictures. So unfortunately he gets the earful all the time. But he's been pretty good at blocking it out so far. I know that I know that uh, I meant to ask you. And I know I know I'm maybe putting you on the spot, but you mentioned it earlier in the episode. Where you wish that you never had to pitch again at Christy Pitts. And I just meant to ask you I apologize if I've asked you this before or you know at any other time, but were you a victim of the Bushman?
2: So no. But also kind <laughs> of yes. Oh no. <laughs> um so okay, so funny story about that one. So last year in the playoffs, um so as, as you know, I started the season in Hamilton and then I got traded to Welland halfway through the year. Uh, and then I took on the number 34. Uh, well, I started out as 35 and then I went to the number 34 again. Um, and on, uh, in game two of the semis against Toronto, uh, Mike Wagner, who was supposed to be our starting pitcher, uh, last pitch of his bullpen blows out his elbow. Um, really, really unfortunate, uh, it was it, it sucked to to see um but that happened I was just out there just playing catch and uh coach comes out and comes running out and goes hey Lazar you're starting game starts in seven minutes oh great wonderful um that's fun so me with my torn labor and everything uh has to go out there and you know, my arm actually didn't feel like horrible that day, but obviously, you know, I'm, I'm somewhat damaged good. So I'm like, I'm going to go out there and give 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 them what, what I have. And I hear the Bushmen yelling and saying all kinds of stuff. But the thing is, it wasn't directed to me. It was directed to Rob Nixon. They were yelling Rob and they were yelling Nixon and all kinds of things and talking about my uniform and whatever, right? So, like, they meant to say it to me, but here's the thing. Why were they yelling at Rob Nixon? Because on the Welland roster page, it still had Rob Nixon who had started the season in Welland as number 34. So they saw me wearing number 34 and just assumed that I was Rob Nixon. So like, yes, they were giving me all kinds of crap about my stuff, but also poor Rob Nixon, who wasn't even there, uh, he was the one that was wearing the brunt of it. So, um, Rob
1: Nixon, like, Rob I, Nixon was catching strays. At, he was catching at strays. Your, he was catching because, real strays. <laughs> that's actually, that's actually a really funny story. And I think it would be, <laughs> we should, we should talk to, we should talk to Rob. That's funny. That's a good story. Poor guy.
2: Yeah. I never, I never, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to, to actually be teammates with Rob. He, uh, he had gotten hurt last year and, uh, unfortunately wasn't able to be there when, when I had come over to Welland, but, um, but yeah, so thanks Rob for wearing that number before me. So I didn't have to wear the brunt of the, uh, of the abuse there. And, uh, at the the
1: And once again, shout out to the Bushmen
2: remaining undefeated. I'll tell, you what I, I'll, I'll tell you what I was a victim of though. I was a victim of the Toronto Maple Leafs bats because they hit, I think three bombs, uh, off of me in the first two innings. Carrington took me deep. Mara hit a ball to Scarborough and Connect hit one of his three homers off of me that game. So, um, yeah, I do not have fond memories of the pits.
1: Damn, the pits and the laser beam don't get along.
2: Nope, not friends.
1: Well, to wrap up this episode, I just want to give uh, a quick note. I actually just got a text, or I guess I could say we got a text, from a listener who says that we could have a new pitcher in the IBL before too long. His name is Alec Manoa. (laughs) (laughs) So shout out to, uh, shout out to Zeno Fu who says, uh, you know, shout, uh, He just want to say, you know, Hey, Chris, make sure you save Manoa a roster spot. Um, In the IBL next year, things going from bad to worse for Manoa in Florida Complex League. He went uh, 2.2 innings pitched and had 11 earned runs, 10 hits, 2 walks, only 3 Ks, and gave up 2 homers. So a small sample size for a guy who's looking to get it right. And as much as we joke about a new pitcher coming into the league, we of course are joking we wish Manoa well and we know that the pitchers in the league are dominant and unfortunately for Manoa the pitchers in the IBL are making it look like some of them could be up for a few million bucks if the Blue Jays are looking to fill that role
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah like we are kidding but also like oof yikes Um, yikes not ideal
1: well, oh, maybe hey, we
2: forgot to we forgot to finish off the uh the tease for who we got on the interview. I just want to make sure we get that in there before we forget. Oh my
1: goodness. Oh my goodness. That would have been that would have been crazy. Um because like we did a great tease. job of
2: teasing it and then if we didn't say who it was, that would be that would be uh podcast malpractice.
1: Yeah, that would be. So, without further ado, Chris, who
2: is our interview
1: this week on Inside Inner County?
2: This week's interview is with new Hamilton Cardinals owner, Eric Spearin. He will be joining us uh, over the phone remotely again um, to talk about all things Hamilton and talk about his involvement with the league and how he got started here and what he's planning to do and and all that kind of stuff. So um, that's going to be a really good episode. I spoke to him uh last week just uh just gave him a call on the phone and we were just we were just talking shop for like an hour and just talking about all kinds of things with, with the Hamilton Cardinals and um the Intercounty Baseball League and the potential of this league and what's possible and so it's gonna be really, really interesting to hear his uh his perspective on things. So you're not gonna wanna miss that one.
1: No, the the new look Cardinals certainly putting on a show this season as well. As they boast, well, you could say boast. 18 games played. They're 11-7. They're only three and a half games back of Welland, who again remained an who remain an absolute wagon. Despite the win streak coming to an end, they got right back on track and look to remain strong. But yes, it will be exciting to talk uh, to talk shop later. Actually, we're going to do that later tonight and we hope yes, to have that on the airwaves for you like last week around that Thursday Mark to set you up for an exciting Canada Day weekend in the Inner County Baseball League. Chris, it is always a pleasure when we get to sit down and talk IBL and and just get to talk baseball in general.
2: 100%, even if we uh even if we're remote Looking forward to getting back in back in studio next
1: week. Absolutely, I definitely am looking forward to getting back in the studio. Which reminds me, I should probably book that studio time now, so they don't try and give me the runaround and uh, make my life miserable. Which you'll get anyway. Uh, shouts or anti-shouts to the Centennial College booking <laughs> system for studio space. On that note, folks, that does it for both the laser beam. And the stuntman, Chris Lazar and Andrew Stewart here at Inside Inner County. Folks, we will talk to you next week for another episode of Inside Inner County. But make sure you tune in a little bit later when we sit down with Hamilton owner, Eric Spieren. Ciao
2: Take for care, now. everybody.
1: Later.